the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Afternoon, everybody. Beautiful fall day, nice and crisp. I love the fall, me personally. Let's start out with a couple of, uh, <laughs> I'll just call them interesting quotes. Uh, from Yogi Berra, one of my favorites. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> In this business, that's for sure. And Walls, uh, this is from Bernard Baruch, by the way, who was the first billionaire, uh, made all his money in the stock market. And he said, Wall Street is a funny place. When everything goes on sale, everybody heads for the exits. <laughs> there we go. All right. And, and you know, I, uh, uh, if you hear any material on the show that you'd like to get, uh, uh, for some reason, I sent on a bunch of material last week or two weeks ago, and, and uh, 80% of the people got it, and the other two didn't. <laughs> so I apologize to those two. I resent it this week. But anyway, the uh, the key is is that uh, if you go to WHK fourteen twenty local podcast down the Smart Investor Show, it take you right to my webpage, and there's some really good stuff on that. I mean, uh, under the Insight banner, which is a little line that goes across the top, uh, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, we, we basically change the research every once or twice a week, and there's some new stuff there this week that I think is really good. And they actually name names here. Okay, so uh, there we go. Uh, and then under bulletin board, you can get Rob Schleimer's work, his roadmap work, uh, which is a summary of some of the stuff he does. And also we have a little newsletter there that you can get. So there we go. Okay. Um, you know, Lori Calvacina, our head strategist, was on TV this week, and, and uh, she talked a little bit about the government shutdown, and that's getting into politics and, you know, crazy stuff. So I, I won't uh, talk too much about that, but you know, you know that Congress uh, passed a 45-day funding measure, which is, you know, t- to avoid a government shutdown. And I'm sure, uh, no matter what you're in, you can blame the other one. <laughs> anyway, what I thought was interesting of Lori's work this week was uh, number one, the C-suite, uh, you know, the CFOs. Um, they, they, you know, Duke does a CFO survey. Survey and Lori said basically, if you looked beyond the shutdown, one of the this data that was released by this group, uh, it, which was conducted on August 21st, by the way, uh, to September 8th, and it was ahead of the third quarter earnings. And you know, CFOs usually got a good feel, I think, uh, or at least most of them do, for what's going on there. That's why you love to see you know insider buying when CFOs, you know, if a CFO is buying, you pay attention, right? Uh, the survey may provide a, a glimpse into some of the C-suite thinking, easy to say on a Saturday afternoon. The main thing that jumped out to her was that the CFOs have become incrementally more optimistic 
about the economy and a tiny bit more constructive on the outlook outlooks for their own company. So despite rising concerns about monetary policy, and then interesting, the improvement in general economic expectations is most noteworthy uh, as it represents a recovery from extremely low levels in 2022 that were similar to those of the COVID recession. That's how bad it was, all right? So interesting, expectations for revenue and employment were both much stronger for 2024 than 2023. So, you know, going back to Rob Schleimer's uh, four-year cycle, that's when he expects it to start. So, so overall, the survey makes us think that the CFOs are looking ahead to 2024 as a better year, though we, we aren't sure they're, you know, they will voice that opinion in the upcoming earnings season. But uh, anyway, a couple other things that she pointed out. Number one, the energy earnings per share revisions continue to improve and are approaching past highs. So that makes her, you know, she remains overweight in the sector. You know, she made a great call a couple of years ago. We talked about that on the air. Uh, but this, you know, tempers her enthusiasm a little bit, you know, when, when things. And, and by the way, she put this out Monday, Wednesday and Thursday, oil was down $7 in two days. So um, now um, she said something about Trump pulling ahead of Biden in betting markets. I don't know, uh, you know, the, the betting markets, you know, they're putting real money on it. So whatever. But inflows have nearly disappeared from China, Japan, and and emerging markets equity funds, but remain positive for U.S. funds. And it's driven mostly by large-cap passive funds, all right? So people are just buying the S&P 500, the QQQs. And the companies that have talked the most about AI this year have underperformed sharply in September, but stabilized a bit near the end of the month. And remember, you know, we... we, we <laughs> We kind of mentioned that last week. We said, you know, AI's down. You know, we, we have a great report on AI, by the way, some ways to invest if you'd like it. Uh, inflows have nearly disappeared, like I said, from China and Japan and emerging markets. So they're cheap, okay? And, and But we haven't seen the relative strength pick up. Uh, that's from Rob Schleimer, by the way. Uh, utilities gave back all the outperformance earned in early September and in the final week of the month. Surging bond yields have have, uh, been the trigger, you know, uh, and utilities are kind of bond surrogates to a certain degree. Um, And, uh, you know, we had been, as in Lori, had been concerned about weak earning per share revisions and expensive valuations in the sector uh, a while back. So, um, you know, that's something to think about, okay? Anyway, so... um, Look, there's a couple things I think we have to talk about, and, and this is something. Um, well, the <laughs> that's the best way to put this. Uh, th- there are several things that uh, could and, and might go wrong, and who, who knows if they're going to. But uh, the dollar, I think, is something we have to talk about, and uh, you know, the the, do- the dollar is in a situation. Uh, where people are starting to worry about, uh, you know, it uh, decelerating, okay, uh, or de- or de-dollarizing, I should say. So, Alan Robinson wrote a great report. He's an Englishman uh, from our Seattle office, and uh, he said, for well over a century, the international monetary system 
has operated under the dollar, uh, you know, the, the dollar being the the, the currency. Uh, the world's kind of realigning now, and under deglobalization, some companies are uh, countries are pushing back against the dollar dominance, but. The recent push to rein in the dollar supremacy is nothing new. He's examined the challenges to supplanting the, uh, supplanting the uh, greenback, and they made a case for king dollar will continue to, to wear its financial crown for now anyway. But he, he said there were some key points, and so a lot of people have called in on this, so I thought that this would be a good piece. The U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency, and it's the backbone of global payment infrastructure. So a lot of this stuff that's going on out there, it's all based on the dollar, all right? Uh, and, and by the way, even to some extent, some of the Bitcoin and some of the, you know, the uh, digital currencies, it's all dollar-based, though, so, all right? Countries that face restrictions over the use of the system due to sanctions probably would like to see an alternative. <laughs> that's, a, that's a given. And if the dollar were supplanted, the U.S. would lose a lot of benefits uh, that accrue to the dollar reserve currency status. Uh, and he talks about the debt situation and all that. So we got to be watching that pretty cl- closely, I think. So the entrenched nature of the dollar in global finance, together with conflicting political goals among its detractors, suggests uh, uh, that a practical replacement is, is kind of unlikely at this point. So that's, uh, you know, that's been the case for a pretty long time. So what what he's saying is, the more things change, the more things stay the same. So the recent drumbeat of angst over the dollar status is is nothing new historically. Uh, there's calls for the dollar to be supplanted, the reserve currency grow louder when one or more or several developments occur, and, and a change in the long term trend of the dollar's valuation against other currencies. You know, specifically when a strengthening trend pivots a currency trend. It often, it often triggers this, okay? So, you know, the dollar's been going up for about 11 years now. So uh, slowly but surely, by the way, but, um, you know, and, and somebody asked me, uh, I, I think this was a young lady, uh, she said, what is de-dollarization anyway? And, and it's just the process of reducing the world's reliance on the dollar as the world's primary reserve currency and transaction currency for international business. Okay, uh, but the, you know, look, you can't print money if you're if you're not the, the reserve currency, and that would put a, a big stress on the Federal Reserve. All right, so uh, there you go. Anyway, I uh, we brought that up simply because so many people had asked us about it, and um, you know, we wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page. Um, some other things that we we should probably talk about. Uh, is you know what is the new normal, okay, um, and, and and that is <laughs> what is the new normal, you know, and, and I think that's uh, something that a lot of people are considering. Um, is it a new normal? Is it an old normal or no normal? And uh, you know, we, we had a great report on this, and if you'd like to see it, you know, that's another thing you can go into. But look. We continue to re- recommend just a market weight position in global equities for now. Uh, we believe the S&P 500, perhaps uh, some other developed nations, might be able to reach new highs in the next few months, but the next couple months we're worried about, okay? So, however, you know, it, 
we may be able to reach new highs in the next few months if faith in the economic soft landing for the U.S. can be supported by some plausible rationale. All right. And that's that's really, really important. Um, we note that below the surface, the U.S. consumer spending power and confidence appear to be under pressure. You know, the consumer's been, you know, hanging tough, okay? Uh, so we're just starting to see, and we, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks about, you know, spending, uh, they're, they're moving down uh, on the hotel list and that type of thing. And, and it's compressed by depleted savings and high interest rates. Um, there's a growing reluctance of banks to lend. And we had rising energy costs on Wednesday, and then we, it collapsed, you know? So, you know, we think 2024 is likely a feature, uh, to feature a much more challenging landscape for the economy and equity markets. But it may also, you know, look, the equity markets tend to bottom before we see the end of a recession or before we see, you know, the turn. So you got to keep that in mind. Now, global yields, again, achieved fresh new highs this week, okay, uh, especially the 10-year Treasury. So uh, the average on the Bloomberg Global Aggregate Bond Index peaked at 4.3%. That's the highest level since 2008. That's a long time, okay? So, uh, And it comes at a time when central banks are likely at or near the end of their respective rate cycles. At least that's what we think anyway. And so you just got to... I think market weight, you know, the old 60, 30, 10, 60% stocks, 30% bonds, and 10% cash remains a, a pretty good idea, okay? And market weight implies the potential for an average performance for the asset class or for whatever region we're talking about, okay? So, uh, you know, we're not expecting big things over the course of the next new month, next couple of months. No. Tom Gerritsen, who's uh, with a, with our group in Minneapolis, uh, he talked about this new normal or, you know, new normal, old normal, no, no normal. Okay. So, you know, he, he pointed out a pretty obvious fact that global interest rates are achieving levels not seen over a decade. So some investors are beginning to weather, whether uh, the era of zero and negative interest rates has, have ended. And, you know, Rob Schleimer talked about that two years ago. All right. So uh, Rob's our head technician, if you're just listening for the first time. So the theory of a neutral rate of interest for economies, one that neither boosts nor restricts economic activity, has long guided most central uh, bank policies. OK, so neutral rates have been in in a state of decline for decades. And there's a reason to think they've moved higher as global economies change and adjust to post you know, pandemic world. We continue to believe that the longer term drivers of lower interest rates will ultimately prevail. Uh, at least we think anyway. Um, rates are likely to remain historically high levels for a pretty extended stretch here because a lot of money was put out during the pandemic. So, and if, if central banks need to turn back to stimulus measures, low rates are likely to remain the primary tool in their, their toolkit. At least that's the way we think. So, um, look, there, there was a new na uh, normal after the global financial crisis 15 years ago. It was a common theme among mar market participants. And the great moderation of, of the 80s to 2007 was highlighted by a long, sustained economic uh, expansion 
with stable inflation. And that could hardly uh, have done less to prepare investors for what's happening now. Okay, most people out there have not seen, okay, interest rates this high. Uh, you know, uh, when I was a young man, uh, back, you know, they, they had mortgages at 15%. Uh, I remember I died and went to heaven when I refinanced it at eight. <laughs> All right, so deleveraging by the U.S. consumer following the housing bubble paired with an anemic government fiscal policy response meant that monetary policy was left to do the bulk of the heavy lifting. Okay, now that's changed. Okay, so fiscal policy <laughs> we're spending a lot of money. All right, and so when when you, look when you're in debt, the bank asks you or is going to charge you a higher interest rate than if you're not in debt. And it's the same thing with government. All right, when governments lend borrow a lot of money, people want a higher interest rate. It's that simple. So uh, we'll see what happens going forward. But um, uh, you know. The question is, is this the new normal forever? Uh, I, you know, I really don't know. Uh, I don't think anybody does. There's an old joke about, you know, uh, uh, Greenspan going to heaven and uh, <laughs> a few other things. You know, you ask somebody, there's a janitor who knows all about interest rates and that type of thing. It, you know, but anyway, look, the, the Fed navigates by one thing, okay? And, and it's their natural rate of inflation. So just remember that. Anyway, let's take a break, and we'll be right back, and we'll talk about a couple new subjects. All right? Uno, Stay tuned. Two, one, two, tres, cuatro. My first ride along was with Jamal, even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward, and it was awesome. The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degreed project manager, as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland, and I just wasn't happy with the corporate-style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign. That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on The Fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyitworks.com. License number 30185. Wallach a It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. We can help you understand the disease. And give you tips for living a better life. Find your answers at Parkinson.org or call 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives together. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. 
heard that name for a long time. Lenny's playing the oldies, but the goodies, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, going back, I I had some conversations this week uh, with some people about retirement. And look, with longevity increasing and 75 million baby boomers stepping into retirement at the rate of about 10,000 per day, the landscape is quickly shifting away from the expected stereotype of the past, and it, it, it's now becoming an exciting lifestyle. And, and that's, look, the result is a kind of a new way of thinking for people about aging that will pave the way for innovation advances, I think. you know, I mean, look, the amount of money being spent right now on anti-aging stuff, and you know, now we have drugs that I, I, they're in short supply, but they'll take 25 pounds off you. All right? So we are now living healthier, active, and longer lives for the most part, and baby boomers increasingly perceive retirement as an opportunity to explore. Um, do the things and, and find more meaning, you know? Uh, indeed, rather than viewing retirement as the final chapter in an active life, boomers increasingly see retirement as a extended encore performance, and they should. That's the way I look at it. This evolution will require reassessing your expectations and concerns and redefining your goals regardless of your age. So look, I just want to say this. I've been talking about wealth plans now for four years. You got to know if you can make it, all right? <laughs> it's that simple. So look, RBC Wealth Management commissioned a survey to understand expectations and concerns and goals related to retirement. And with half of the 1,400 respondents still working and the other half retired, the, the survey results showed a distinct contrast between the expectations of retirement and the realities experienced by retirement. And what there's actually, you know, when the, the first couple of months you retire, they they say you get a little depressed, okay? So there's there's several phases of retirement, and I think that's important. Uh, a lot of people have not been, you know, uh, paying very close attention to that, if you ask me. But I think it's, it's uh, well, what's the best way to uh, put it? Uh, it's a period of time where people are starting to think differently, okay? So... Um, well, here's what we'll do. We'll, uh, we'll just continue along, uh, this and just say, what, look, both the pre-retiree and the retiree groups are confident about their future. Uh, the creation of a wealth plan, by the way, is one of the key drivers. Okay. Almost 70% of the people that didn't have wealth plans felt much more confident after they had a wealth plan. So the top surprises among seniors was that 33% uh, 33% said how how I spend my time is different than I anticipated. 29% my transition into retirement was better than I expected, although some had some uh, depressed a little bit depressed at first. And then perhaps the probably the most surprising confidence in the future grew as their age advanced. So 75% of the 70-year-olds 70 are confident they will live the type of retirement that they desire. Isn't that interesting? So the older you get, the more confident you get in your abilities. 
And I think that's a, a big, big change from where we were 10, 15 years ago. Okay. So uh, I looked at, you know, I looked, I guess, at the key trends here. And, uh, you know, there's some ways of thinking. The modern American family has changed quite a bit. You know, changing social norms and the rise of millennials are changing the structure and the look of American families quite a bit. Then the, a lot of people are living longer uh, and in better health. You know, in that when they start, started the Social Security Act, the average ma- male lived to 48. They're now living till 81, right? Or is it 78? And women are 81. I'm sorry. So they're living longer and 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 in better health. And they're taxing Medicare. Uh, Medicare spending currently makes up 14% of the federal budget and a number that is expected to grow as the program continues to expand. So preserving Medicare's long-term vitality will require changes. It's that simple. So, and you have an aging workforce. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, 75, 80 still work. I, I have a guy who's running his company still at 75. Uh, I, you know, he's, and he's doing a great job. He's, he's making more money than he ever had. I just talked to a gentleman this week who, uh, has a small one, two man shop and, uh, he's making more money than he ever had. So it, it, it can happen. An aging workforce doesn't, is not necessarily bad. There's a lot of wisdom that gets passed along. So, and, and then the rise of longevity in the economy, uh, the average age of American continues to rise. All right. So the new economy is emerging to meet the needs of that. So you're finding a lot of stuff going on. So I have a, a new report out called Rewriting Retirement. And if you'd like a copy of it, you know, please let me know. And uh, we'll be glad to uh, send that to you. Um, now, I, a lot of people are looking at um, recession right now. And I, I think, uh, you know, RBC had a great piece out this week. It's called Calm. <laughs> All right. So with some of this data still to come, there has been no significant changes this past month necessitating uh, adjustments to our position that, you know, the, the U.S. We, we have seven recession indicators and we have two expansionary, three are neutral and two are recessionary. So the recessionary ones are the yield curve, obviously and the Conference Board of Leading Indicator Index. Um, the expansionary are the unemployment rate and free cash flow of non-financial corporations. So uh, calm is the right word, all right? And, and like I said earlier, and, and I'm making a joke, but, uh, you know, Bernard Baruch said, hey, Wall Street's the only place he knows that when you have a sale, everybody heads for the exits, okay? so." Uh, it's something to, to think about. Uh, now, look, I, I think, you know, we have some central banks who are di- diverging monetary policy and things like that. So you've got to keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, where Japan is moving away from its super loose monetary policy, uh, China is starting su- super loose policy, and, and the U.S. is near the end, maybe, too. So, um, I think that'll be, that'll continue to, uh, you know, make people a little bit crazy down the line. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's also an opportunity for, I think, people to uh, look forward and uh, say, hey, we need the end. You know, that's one of the things that people aren't doing. And I 
I think they, they, you know, you really want to start to think that way. Okay. The second thing I want to talk about was uh, dividend growth investing and, and the prime income list. Uh, the, these are available to everybody. Um, we just put out a new one, uh, dividend growth and also prime income list. And, uh, you know, if you need income, remember dividends are taxed at a lower rate than your CDs and your, well, except for treasuries, you know, treasuries have, uh, uh, you don't pay federal tax on them. And then there's municipal bonds, so you don't pay federal or state on them. So, uh, you know, take it from there. Uh, in the meantime, you know, with yields up, you, you want when things have yields, and the yields are up and the prices are down, that's when you want to buy yield. Uh, now, you know, picking the top in the yield is very difficult, all right? But we've just had a major run in yield, and it hasn't stopped yet. So somewhere along here is probably a pretty good time to be picking away at some of these things. And that includes bonds and and, and dividend growth investing, you know, and, and pro- the prime income list, which is more, you know, uh, companies that have really good dividends that uh, uh, may not grow as fast as the dividend growth portfolio. The dividend growth portfolio, we're looking for a certain amount of growth in the dividend every year, okay? So, but it is a, probably a pretty good time to be looking at that because, you know, uh, stocks are down right now, all right? And that's when you want to buy, you know. Well, look, one of the best things you could do is is pick away at a stock as it's making a rounded bottom or making a bottom, you know? So you may not pick the exact bottom, but, you know, as it's stopped going down and these start to see it go sideways, you know, you pick up a little here, pick up a little there. So uh, anyway, it, it, it makes a, a whole lot of sense. And I think that uh, the timing um, is pretty good for that type of thing, you know? So it's one of those things that I think that uh, if I were a betting man, I would uh, suggest that, you know, somewhere along here, um, you know, you, you want to be paying close attention. All right, let's, uh, I'm going to come back and I'm just going to go over these three acts of retirement real quick, Uh, but we'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. My first ride along was with Jamal even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward, and it was awesome. The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degree project manager, as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland and I just wasn't happy with the corporate style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on The Fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyitworks.com. 
license number 30185. Wallach a doodle. Hey, Drew here, host of Reloaded, a reality show about my life as a girly girl raised in a gun store. Yes, you heard that right. A gun store. We're a family-owned range in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a firearms instructor, and my passion is to empower Americans to exercise their Second Amendment rights. This series is full of ups and downs, laughs, family drama, and of course, a lot of ammo. Join me and my family run three successful gun ranges while I prepare for the most difficult event of my life. You can find every episode now only at SalemNow.com. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. Anyway, so uh, I'm going to do this briefly because uh, I got some other stuff to say. But look, you know, in this uh, retirement thing, we talk about the three acts of retirement. And and the one is re-energizing. That's usually when you're 65 to 75. And it's an active lifestyle. You make some big purchases or you even move to a a new locale. Uh, All of this is calculated. And, And in this phase, a lot of retirees volunteer or reduce their working hours just to stay involved, okay? And they consider levels uh, or higher spending goals at this point. And then the second act is the period of time in which retirees are still on the go, but the pace is slowing down. And as they live longer, this phase may be even pushed out further than 85. You know, it's from 76 to 85. And it's important to plan for longer periods of heightening spending. that's where the wealth plan comes in, by the way. And prevalent uh, concerns about the cost of health care and long-term care are really important at this point. And then the Act 3 is reflecting, and that's when you're 86 and above. And this is the phase uh, is less about annual spending on travel and hobbies and more in health care and the quality of life. And according to uh, our report in 2021, health care costs for an 85 uh, year old couple are three times that of a 65 year old couple. Okay, so uh, there's all sorts of information you get from the Department of, of uh, uh, Health and Resources too. So uh, that's stuff to be thinking about. All right, so um, if I can find this. Hold on. <laughs> uh, so Rob Slimer came out. You know, Rob's our, our head uh, technician. He's really good, uh, especially about the markets. Uh, you know, and, and basically what he talked about is rising interest rates remain the major headwind for equities. And, you know, we hit a new high Friday or Thursday. I'm sorry. Um, this was 4.8 percent on the 10 year. So uh, it, the current trend remains higher. And and there's some minor resistance at about the uh, 472 level, which we blew through. The major technical level, next technical level is 5 percent. OK, so. By the way, just so you know, uh, I I listened to Rob this week, and he said that the average 10-year Treasury rate has been 4.7% for the history of the stock market, uh, you know, since we started putting out bonds, or the bond market, I'm sorry. So uh, we're getting back to normal, uh, where we had, you know, wonderful interest rates for a long, long time. 
So, but the current trend remains higher. And the one thing we, we did see is that the weekly RSI indicator, uh, it has moved into overbought territory. It's not terribly overbought yet, but it's moved into uh, overbought territory. So, uh, you know, there we go. Now, look, uh, Rob said this week um, that the S&P is still in corrective trend. It stalled at the April highs, uh, April 2022 highs, and, uh, and that's where near, that was near 4,600, by the way. And it's it's got to hold the next support, which is a 200-day moving average, which I think it gave it up Thursday and then rallied back up, which may be what they call an undercut. Uh, the quadrant balance indicator uh, has is pretty oversold. It's at 14. Now, I've seen it lower. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was lower in 2022. It was lower in uh, in 2008. Um, or 2000, yeah, 2008. So, uh, you know, it's, it, oh, I'm sorry, the current reading is 12. Not, uh, it was 12 Thursday. Uh, so I think it's 14 as of today. But, you know, normally that's an overbought, oversold indicator. It's a momentum indicator. So when it gets to that oversold, and then if you look at both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ composite and you look at our, you know, momentum indicator, which, which is, you know, Rob's, what Rob uses, uh, we're right at that area where we should start to turn, okay? Now, if we don't turn, if we were to break down, that would be a lower high, as Rob indicated this week on his call. And, and that, you know, that's something that would not be good, I don't think. Uh, but the value line and the... Uh, Geometric and the Russell a micro cap, uh, they're both kind of equal weighted scenarios, and they they, they both held support, which is important. And uh, you know, uh, Lori Calvacina likes small cap stocks on their valuation, and you know she said that three times, and each one of the times we've had a rally, and we've pulled right back to where she originally said she likes small caps. So this is the third time this has happened. So if we were to turn up here, I think that'd be I think that'd be bullish. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, just from Tim Hayes' point of view. The West Texas Intermediate Oil, uh, you know, it rebounded very nicely. And uh, the next resistance was 9,700. And then it collapsed on Thursday and Friday. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, the, the And by the way, the, the expiration and production index got whacked pretty hard. And it's right at its uptrend line. And oil is right back to its uptrend line. So they, they got a hold there. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, now, the, the other thing I would suggest is that, uh, you know, we had a short bounce by growth versus value, and, and it, it's underway, consistent with uh, the broader market outlook, I think. Uh, and it's highlighting oversold trading low, likely taking hold following the September correction. And, and look, um, one of the things that they, you know, Lori said in her, her report was that the average stock is down 18% this year. Now, the average NASDAQ stock was down like 40-plus last year. So it's been a tough two years. And uh, I will say this. This is Tim's experience, nobody else's. But I've seen a lot of stocks have good news and sell off. So, it's it, you know, that's usually when you're getting close. But... Remember, we've been talking about high beta cyclicals versus low volatility safety stocks. And the pullback in cyclicals, notably semiconductors, by the way, are showing some early, early signs of bottoming at important support levels. Uh, 
And so they've been holding up. The low volatility safety stocks have been beat up pretty bad. And I think that's simply because of some of these weight loss drugs. Okay. Um, you know, uh, snacks, I guess these weight loss drugs, you don't want to eat anymore. Uh, so snacks, may, you know, business might be under pressure a little bit. Who knows what the future holds? So just remember, we have this big cycle, and these the cycles occur 16 to 8 years, 18 year cycles, um, and they're 40, they're 34 year bond market cycles, by the way. And, and we hit the low. <laughs> All right. So, uh, both on bonds and, and, uh, you know, now we have a repetitive four year cycle within these 16 to 18 year cycles. And 2024 is the, you know, the date. And remember, I, I said, uh, you know, what Rob Schleimer said basically earlier this year that we thought the fourth quarter would be wishy-washy, okay, that we'd rally into the fourth quarter would be wishy-washy. And look, the monthly momentum is pretty overbought. And uh, historically, uh, it's not overbought as it was in, in 2021. Um, so, you know, it's important that I think we hold this 200-week or uh, or the 48-month moving average, okay? Um, and it, it's a ways away. I mean, it's a 3,500. So, uh, we got to, I think we just got to, you know, sideways movement or a, an up and down movement, uh, but we got to hold there. Uh, that'd be, that's an important support area. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, look, Rob's expectation is that the current pullback is consistent with seasonal weakness. You know, September is not a good month. And just remember, October is a bottomy month for the most part. Uh, not a hundred percent true, not you know, I think it's like 60, 70% true, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, you get a break below 4,000, you've got to readjust your thinking a little bit. And, you know, look, we just went through September by far and wide, no matter if we go back to 1928 or, or 2000, September is still the worst month. <laughs> and by the way, October is usually a good month. All right. October, remember, you're supposed to go away. I mean, uh, come back on All Souls Day and go away in May. All right, so you go away in May, come back on All Souls Day, and uh, usually that's correct. Although July is usually a good, uh, good month, um, or it has been for the most part uh, since 1928 and since 2000. So keep that in mind. Uh, and you know, we just want to emphasize that the quadrant balance data information is is down there. Okay, uh, it was a 12% Tuesday when Rob spoke. And it was 14% on Friday. So that's those are pretty, you know, decent numbers. And the daily momentum's fairly oversold too. So, so is it poised to bottom as the the S and P show signs of some early bottoming things? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, but I think we're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, at least Rob thinks we're going to bounce around a little bit. And you know, uh, Lori Calvacina, our head strategist, thinks that small caps look attractive. And the Russell 2000 remains weak, but it's becoming very oversold. And it, it does have a lot of support at, you know, it, it's rallied each time Lori spoke about it and then can come right back down when the market's corrected. So it's holding the, uh, I think it's the 1641 range on the Russell. So we'll see what happens from here. And then sentiment, you know, went back to, uh, you know, the bulls <laughs> went away. All right. And, and the bears came back. Uh, and it's kind of, 
it's kind of good though. You know, you don't want everybody being bullish forever. All right. You, you, you need people to be worried. You know, you climb the wall of worry. And the more you worry, uh, like I, I've said on the show many a time, the best time to buy a stock is when your stomach's churning. <laughs> you hate to do that, especially after a cup of coffee. Uh, but, you know, you, you, the coffee's making your stomach churn anyway. But it's the best time to buy. Okay. And like I said, Bernard Baruch, that's why I brought it up. You know, he said, hey, when Wall Street has a sale, everybody heads for the exits. And, and that may be true because they don't know how far down we're going to go. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that uh, everyone pay attention uh, to to the trend. And, and uh, you know, the, the long-term trend is still up for now. All right. Now, will that change? I don't know. But look, the CFOs, Lori's talking about, the CFOs, the C-Street, is seeing improvements in the economy and small improvements in their own business. That's a really good sign, especially when everybody's bearish, especially when everybody's bearish. You know, I've seen uh, a bunch of announcements uh, where earnings are better than expected and the stock didn't go up. You know, I, I saw a major company raise their dividend 12% and they were down that day and then they, they went up Friday. Interesting, huh? 12% a big, big uh, jump in a dividend. All right. So. Anyway, um, all right, well, let's take a break, and uh, we'll, we're going to come back, and we'll talk about the long term a little bit and uh, where, where we'd be looking, all right? Stay tuned. Christian beliefs put us increasingly in the minority today. Alistair Begg's book, Brave by Faith, looks at the book of Daniel to help us deal with this new reality. But be encouraged, Daniel's experience in an unbelieving culture assures us God is in control even in a world that denies Him. Download the Brave by Faith audiobook for free at truthforlife.org brave. This radio station exists to fulfill your insatiable appetite for news and information. If it happens here or around the world and it matters to you, we'll be the first to tell you about it and what it means. But that's not all. Our sister station exists to give your life meaning and purpose. Through the teaching of the Holy Bible, AM 1420, The Answer, exists to tell you about the world. AM 1220, The Word, exists to change the world. Together, we can do it. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Lenny just stumped me. I don't know that song. So uh, anyway, um, 
So let's talk about the long term. Okay, this is important because uh, the U.S. equity markets are nearing an important long-term inflection point. Uh, if, if Rob Schreimer can be believed, and guy's really good, so I mean, I think he's one of the best. Uh, the pullback uh, through the third quarter approached some pretty key levels. So in the quarter fourth, uh, the, the fourth quarter, with interest rates and U.S. dollar ongoing headwinds for stocks, our base case continues to be that the secular uptrend in the current market cycle remain intact and recent equity declines consistent with the seasonal weakness. And, you know, Rob, Rob doesn't uh, hesitate to tell you the truth. <laughs> he, he, he blurts it out. Okay. So, uh, you know, the potential bottom probably is somewhere in this fourth quarter. And uh, if I, I mean, if history has anything to say about it, it's probably in October. You know, like I said, go away, man, come back on All Souls Day, right? So, you know, we've remained remain pretty optimistic since the fourth quarter of 2022. And, and and Rob has too, by the way. Rob has made some pretty good calls. Uh, and remember, we established this typical four-year cycle low near its long-term uptrend. And uh, then we bounced off it and then... You know, our intermediate term indicators became overbought, peaked early. I think it was, you know, middle August, whatever. And so a seasonal pullback was likely, and, and it came. And I think the important negative macro event that developed in September was the 11th-month breakout by the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, all right, uh, above the 2022 high at 4.3%. Matter of fact, we had a heck of a run in that Treasury. I mean, it was 3.2%. In, in July, and it's now 4.8 or 4.77, whatever. So it's that's a big run. I mean, a lot of people, you know, if you were long bonds, you got whacked. If, if you were long interest rates, you made a, a fortune, okay? So um, that, that's been the problem. And by the way, when your yield goes up, your dollar goes up or your currency goes up. And so if you look at the the relationship between U.S. equity markets and interest rates, a move above 4.5 to 5% has been a very important inflection point uh, in the secular trend for equities since 1970s, okay? So the obvious risk today is unless the interest rates begin to stall and reverse shortly, equity markets will continue to trend lower. And with higher, uh, higher lows, or lower highs versus the you know the 2022 highs established by the equity markets this past summer, it's very important that the S&P 500 bottoms between four grand and 4200 with 4,000 is very important downside risk control level. Okay, so a break below 4,000 would likely signal further equity weakness with 39 uh, 38 to 39 being the next support. All right, so you know bottom line. The, the current trend in interest rates uh, remains the most ongoing concern that I can think of. Uh, and Rob Schleimer thinks the same way, Lori Calvacina, et cetera. Rates are becoming extended tactically. Okay, this is when I mean tactically, I'm talking short term with a potential, you know, uh, at least Rob thinks, for a, for a peak developing in the fourth quarter. And what you have is a little bit of a uh, what, what they call a parabolic move. So you, you have a trend, and we've gone above that trend level. So that's what he's probably looking at. 
And conversely, equity markets are increasingly oversold short term and immediate term weekly uh, suggesting a, a, a pretty volatile choppy trading bottom pattern, okay, that, you know, could go through October, obviously. Um, but you've got to go back and think about these generational cycles, okay? They, they roughly last 16 to 18 years. And, you know, it's important because the Dow Jones Industrial has transitioned from a secular bull market roughly every 17 years. So while there are, long, uh, there are only a few long-term cycles for bonds, the equity market has reacted to moves above and below the 45 to 5% level in yield. So put differently, um, the equity market is likely to correct should rates push above 5%. Okay? And that's something you got to understand. And if you don't understand it, you shouldn't be managing your own money. All right? So I think it's important that we watch very, very closely because uh, these cycles, I mean, we're right there, you know, uh, you know, these 34 year cycles for, for bonds, um, you, you tend to have, I, I think only in the 19, the late 1970s, early eighties, did we have, uh, um, and by the way, the market didn't go up at all during that period of time. It, it slowly, but surely got whacked, but, uh, we raised interest rates. Paul Volcker raised them pretty drastically. Uh, but it, it took a little bit longer do it all right so uh, we'll see uh, you know the the rate increases of the last year and a half have been pretty significant with the speed at which they occurred so just remember we've got a 10-year cycle going and uh, but we on a monthly basis we are extended on a momentum basis on the daily basis we're oversold so you got to look at the daily versus the the monthly on that uh you know type of scenario but because it's important i think uh now one thing the relative ratio uh, of the S&P versus the Barclays All Aggregate Bond Index is beginning to break out of its 20, 2022-2023 trading range, shifting the longer-term trend from neutral to up for stocks versus bonds. Uh, so we'll see if that continues, uh, if that holds. Uh, that's that's very important because, uh, you know, if you've been in bonds for two years now, you got beat up pretty bad, all right? Uh, you know, the Last year they really got hit, and this year, you know, if rates keep going up, your bond your your bond prices are going down. So that that comes especially into play in mutual funds, by the way. So you got to be careful uh, which mutual fund if they have leverage, you can really get whacked. But once again, everybody's getting bearish again. The the bulls were up to fifty two percent, and now they're back down to twenty seven. All right, the bears, which had bet they had been at sixty, went all the way down to twenty. Now they're back up to forty. So they're climbing a wall of worry again, all right? Wall of worry is kind of an important thing, all right? So just keep that in the back of your head. And like we said two years ago, the 10-year yield has broken out of a 40-year downtrend. The chances of us going back to zero or 0.31% where, where we ended the, the pandemic are slim to none, all right, uh, in my opinion. Uh, that's Tim Hayes' opinion. But I think, you know, if they break five, you know, the stock market's going to have some problems for a while, okay? So these these cycles have lasted, these 16 to 18-year cycles and bull market cycles have lasted. Uh, and we've had three major, you know, events uh, that where this has occurred over a period of time. And things change. So if, if interest rates continue to go up, but with oil going down 7 bucks during the week, I think that's important. So what do we do now? Uh, 
go to WHK 1420 uh, and go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show. Takes you directly to my webpage. Take a look at the inside column. There's a lot of good new information in there. Look at Rob Schleimer's work. Uh, and we also have a newsletter there. It, comes, it talks about the week, what happened last week. If you'd like the dividend growth portfolio or the prime income list, uh, look, I, I, there, this is just for people who need income. There's a good idea. If uh, We also have a small cap list out and a whole bunch of lists. So, <laughs> uh, you know, let us know. Remember, we have two things, uh, healthcare in retirement and uh, rewriting retirement for all those people who are getting close. You know, knowing about healthcare is very important. And uh, those are available to everybody also. So in the meantime, have yourself a great weekend. This is Smart Investor Show. Remember to buy, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.